welcome to a Friday night. It's another couple hours with your man, Larry Luciano Crane, on the Logic and Larry podcast. As everybody knows, anything I say on this podcast is strictly my own opinion as a private citizen. It does not reflect the opinion or the stance or the position of any other entity or person. This is just me. Now, I'm happy to be with all of you. There's a couple things on the agenda to discuss tonight. I will have a very special guest who has some finance sector expertise on the show very soon. He's going to discuss the latest whole thing on the uh, GameStop saga with Robin Hood and all those things. He actually has expertise in the area. So this is Logic and Larry. So what do we do? We try to spread information from people like you and me who are just out here grinding in life. People I know personally who have expertise in different areas, who understand things that can educate all of us, and we can exchange ideas and exchange information. So that's what we're going to do with Neil that's coming up in about 20 minutes. Before then, I just want to talk to you guys about some of the news, some of the things that have gone on over this past week. First, on the local front, it is very, very, very cold in Newark, New Jersey very cold in New Jersey in general. It's cold in the New York area. It's a cold spell. And it's actually the coldest it's been in two years. Today was the coldest it's been in two years. And I have mixed feelings about that. On the one hand, you don't want it to be so damn cold. On the other hand, well, with climate change and all the global warming and things going on, I mean, at the end of the day, I welcome a little bit of a cold cold day. It shows us that we're not so rapidly departing. Not so rapidly departing from our expected weather patterns that we've known to love. So, come to love, I should say. So, it was a cold day and there's a massive snowstorm apparently on the horizon, though the weatherman can only really get the snowstorms pinned down about a day in advance. So as of now, all things are pointing to a massive snowstorm. Uh, maybe not massive, but decent snowstorm this Sunday and through Tuesday in the New York area, but we will see. In other news in Newark, on the front that many people are usually thinking about and talking about with police, and Sean, thank you for that, that's true. If I was on the FM radio, I certainly would be a smooth jazz or an R&B DJ, perhaps maybe regular jazz. Maybe one day that career awaits me, I don't know. For right now, the law pays the bill, so I rock with that, and that is what it is. But, anybody have any connections to any radio stations, let me know. And as uh, Andrew says, yeah, I could throw my own music in there. It might be a good little uh, spot for me. But, in local news... The uh, Newark Police Department has is one of the first police departments in the country, to my knowledge, to start mandating body cameras even on plainclothes officers. And that was after a shooting that happened recently. Uh, the mayor has issued an order he would like to see even plainclothes officers in Newark wear body cameras, so we will see how that goes. Props to the Newark Police Department. As usual, they're out here serving, they're out here risking their lives and and everything else every day, and they are a fine department. And just yesterday, the body cam is now public. The Newark Police Department rescued a two-year-old girl who was the victim of a gunshot wound. Two-year-old girl was shot along with two other people in their 20s. The body cam is now made public. 
and you can watch Newark police and what they engage in and what they do. They arrived on the scene. They immediately grabbed the two-year-old girl. They immediately grabbed the other victims. They rode with those victims in their vehicles to get them as quickly as possible to the hospital to get them aid. It's my understanding that the two-year-old girl has survived. She's in stable condition, to, from what I understand. Hopefully it stays that way. So props to Newark PD out here doing work as always. It's nice to see. Now, on to the COVID front. COVID still rages across our country, and in Jersey, we've had some trouble getting the vaccines out. If you're looking for appointments in New Jersey, I would advise that you look into the Morristown. It's not Morristown. Morristown, not where George Washington had encampments during the Revolutionary War. That's Morristown in North Jersey. No, I'm talking about Morristown. Morristown, down by the Philadelphia area, down by Camden, Morristown Mall down there. They have a massive COVID-19 site. You can register for a vaccine there. I recently got an appointment, and my appointment that I got two days ago or yesterday is for April. It's for early April. So that gives you an idea of how far out you got to make these appointments. So if you're looking for a vaccine, go to the state site. Try getting down in Morristown. There is a mega site at the Meadowlands, too, but that's filled up very, very quickly. Um, Essex County's done a great job of rolling out the vaccine. Per usual, Essex County, as we all know, the, in my opinion, the crown, crown jewel of New Jersey's counties with Newark, the crown jewel of New Jersey's municipalities, has done a pretty good job of rolling it out. But we are inundated here in Essex County, too. So look into Moorestown. Try to get vaccinated as quick as you can. You see the link there, Andrew. Thank you for sharing that link. Uh, go to that website if you need a vaccine. Get your loved ones vaccinated because what we've found out today is these variants of COVID-19 that are coming out, these variants that are coming out are making it challenging to get the vaccines to be effective. But the quicker we vaccinate everybody, the less chance the disease has to mutate, right? Because if we vaccinate quickly, then none of us can catch it. And the vaccine needs to jump from host to host. That's how it works. As it jumps from host to host, just like any evolution in any other species, it evolves over time. It evolved. Now, Sean, I don't know if it's MetLife Stadium in and of itself, but it's at the Meadowlands. Because the Meadowlands is a whole big... Well, the Meadowlands itself is an environmental area. It's the Meadowlands, literally. But then in the Meadowlands, they have MetLife Stadium. They have the racetrack. They have Continental Airlines Arena. So I don't know exactly which building it's in. But yes, that general area. And it might even be MetLife. If anybody knows, let, let me know. It might even be MetLife, honestly. Um, I can see that from my window, too. I can see the Meadowlands and MetLife. I can see the Empire State Building. I'm just kicking it over here. But um, the... The disease morphs, right? The disease evolves as it continues to grow, and it continues to grow as it continues to jump hosts. So the quicker we all get vaccinated, the quicker we can thwart its ability to mutate. So we need to do that. We need to do that very, very quickly. And I see my boy Johnny White in here. So what's up to him? Um, so the, the J&J vaccine came out today, the study, said that it was 80%, over 80% effective over 80% effective in terms of preventing serious illness. So over 80% of the people who got the J&J &J vaccine, uh, it's another New Jersey company, the J&J &J vaccine um, were prevented from getting an illness serious enough to send them to the hospital, which was great news. Um, but it was only 60% 
effective in helping people not to catch it at all against these new variations of the virus. So we gotta watch out for that. Now there's a lot of alarm out there, and there's a lot of people that believe in conspiracy theories and say, well, as soon as Biden got into office, all of a sudden they stopped saying that COVID was serious and this and that. None of it's true, right? Because now that Biden's in office, now all of a sudden they're saying there's all these scary variations and variants of the virus, right? And they're gonna scare you with that. And this is what happens. It, it's, it's not that you shouldn't be scared to take it seriously, but this is just what they do. It's not any kind of agenda. So now they're saying the variants are out and it's scary. But here's what you got to remember. Uh, I read up on it. I saw on the news today. The fact that we already have the infrastructure in place to deal with the vaccines and to deal with the virus, we'll, virus, sorry, we'll be able to quickly, quickly adapt our vaccines to deal with any new variation or any new strain of the virus because we already have the, the base vaccine there. It's just a quick tweak here or there to get it to make sure it deals with the new variations. So don't be scared. Don't fret. We'll be okay with, with the vaccines, but you should get vaccinated. So these new strains that are popping up, they're scary. They can adapt quickly. They could get to a point where our vaccines can't prevent them. They could get to a point where they make us sicker than they've been making us. But if you get vaccinated, the vaccines are there. They will still prevent, for the most part, the spread of the new variations. And they can tweak the current vaccines to prevent new variations, similar to the way they do the flu, things of that nature. So go get vaccinated. We'll be okay. We're still trekking forward. We're still on our way towards getting a wider herd immunity, not by way of just infecting everybody, but by way of getting vaccinated. And we are on our way to finally getting back to normal. So make sure you get vaccinated. And that's kind of the COVID news. The only other COVID news that I have really is the... Yeah, and, and Sean, you're right. Less than Moderna and Pfizer. Exactly. So go ahead and get them. Moderna and Pfizer are already approved. Now, we have now the COVID relief bill. That's the newer thing that's in the news, too. So Joe Biden, President Biden was out today and I saw him. They caught him on the White House lawn and they said, what's your you know, what's the position? White House's position on the COVID relief bill. Essentially, Biden has proposed a $1.9 trillion COVID relief bill, um, and it is facing some uncertainty in Congress. So the Republicans thus far, Biden has indicated that he wanted bipartisan support. However, he's yet to receive any word that he'll actually get any bipartisan support. The Republicans have not said yet that they would support the bill. Um, and so now he's got to get it through maybe without the help of Republicans, despite Biden saying he wanted to be bipartisan. He might have to push this thing through via reconciliation. And if he wants to do that, he's going to have to also get on board uh, the senator from Arizona and the senator from West Virginia, Joe Manchin. Now, they've already started flooding those airwaves in those states with ads, as far as I know. Vice President Harris has been to those two jurisdictions to try to get support up for the stimulus bill to put pressure on those two Democrats. By all indications, those Democrats will eventually come home. They will support the bill, but maybe with a tweak or two. I've posted, guys, I've posted, you know, as of recent, that $2,000 to every American under a threshold of 75 grand may be, may be a little much it may not actually have the desired stimulating effects on the economy, and they may want to use that money and those funds 
to better target that money to people who are a little more in need, who perhaps are unemployed, perhaps are facing housing uncertainty, uh, those types of things. So we'll see if Manchin or if, you know if they have any negotiation to try to alter or tweak the bill. But if not, then the bill is headed towards reconciliation. Reconciliation, just so you know, is a mechanism wherein the House and Senate can push a bill through, and they can do it with avoiding the filibuster, and I'll get to that in a minute. They can do that up to three times a year. So they can only use reconciliation three times a year. They may use reconciliation to push through the stimulus bill, uh, this $1.9 trillion stimulus bill, and that remains to be seen. Biden said today, I'd love to do it bipartisan. I'd love it for it to be bipartisan, but if it's not bipartisan, then I'm going to get it done anyway. It needs to be done. So we're looking at them actually passing it. And you're right. John makes a good point. It very well may be closer to 1.2. Once everybody gets their say and once everybody gets in there and decides to um, you know, tweak it a little bit, we might see a different bill. Maybe we'll even get some bipartisan support, which would be nice. So the reconciliation, just so everybody knows, that's what they're using right now on this bill, perhaps. The second thing that they've planned to use reconciliation on is the infrastructure bill, which would uh, finance a great deal of infrastructure projects, hopefully including the tunnel projects and bridge projects in this area, and also would spend a substantial amount of money on green energy. That would be the next reconciliation bill that they have on their horizon. And they would be looking to pass that. Now, here's the thing, though, right? Biden said when he was running, he said when he was running that he was looking to get a a bipartisan consensus on certain legislative agenda items, certain legislative projects that were big, that were of grand concern to many Americans. He wanted to get bipartisan support. And as of right now, it doesn't look like he has it. Here's my thing. So the Senate recently had negotiations to determine to determine whether um, how they would run the Senate, right? Because it's a 50-50 split, but Vice President Harris has the tiebreaker vote, right? So where they were trying to figure out um, trying to figure out if how they would run the Senate. And many, many progressives wanted the Democrats to do away with the filibuster. They wanted to do away with the filibuster. I explained what the filibuster was last week. I explained what the uh, considerations were for it. I I explained why people wanted it, why people might not want it. It essentially requires 60 votes for any major piece of legislation. And that would include, obviously, 10 Republicans on any major piece of legislation. Um... Ultimately, Mitch McConnell dropped his demand that the filibuster remain intact, but he only did that because he had assurances that Democrats themselves would vote against doing away with the filibuster. And that's exactly what happened, right? So Democrats did hold a vote on doing away with the filibuster rule that was voted down. Therefore, to get any major legislation passed for the near future, they are going to need 60 votes. Now, look, that... I already said, in, in in theory, I agree with that, right? You don't want them jamming legislation through it. You just don't. On the other hand, you don't want to continue this nonstop, endless perpetuation of just 
never getting anything done that we need to get done. Like, this country has serious issues, right? This country has serious things that they need to deal with, serious conflicts, serious predicaments it finds itself in that we need to get ourselves out of. And you can bring an ideology to the table. Everybody, conservatives, far-right conservatives, far-left uh, progressives, centrists, everybody. But they all need to come to the table, use their ideologies as a guiding light, but not use their ideologies as a prohibitive thing that um, doesn't allow them to compromise. They need to come to the table, do their jobs, and their job is to find solutions to our problems and to legislate properly. So here's what I'm scared of, right? They can use this reconciliation for the stimulus bill. They can use this reconciliation for the uh, infrastructure bill. But at the end of the day, I don't want to see another two years, especially another four years. I don't want to see another four years of nothing but obstruction of nothing but any big idea just because it's your big idea we're just not going to support and we're just going to not allow you any victories guys we got to stop that in this country we got to stop it if it's good for the country if it's a victory for the president and if the sitting president is one party or another and it could be a victory for the congress in one party or another, or individual congressmen or individual senators, then they all need to share in the glory of the victory and they all need to share in the glory of the achievement. And they all need to sit and get it done, okay? So I'm hoping that we don't go through another four years of just obstructionism. So they didn't do away with the filibuster. And that's, that's good if we want a compromising, collaborative process in legislation. But they can't just use it to obstruct. And and something to, to take a note you know notice of is that when they were going to pass the Supreme Court nominees under Trump, Democrats were gonna filibuster those nominees until the election, and Republicans easily did away with the filibuster. They easily did away with the filibuster as it pertains to judicial appointments, and they quickly got that done. So let's hope that now that Democrats have voted down the filibuster, that if Republicans were back in power, they keep their word and they don't just do away with it and do whatever they want. We have to start collaborating. So look, the good news is right now they got reconciliation. They're going to get some kind of bill through for COVID relief. It's needed. We need to beat COVID. We got its foot on. We got our foot on its neck. We need to snap it and move on. We got to vaccinate everybody. We got to get the relief out there. Keep our economy running. We got to move on. Turn the page. Turn to a new chapter and a new day in this country. And that's the good news. Okay. The bad news is that if they're just going to continue to obstruct, then we all lose. The whole country loses if they're going to keep playing their petty games in Washington. So I pray. I pray that they find some compromise and get some legislation passed to get some tackle some of these serious problems that we have in this country right now. I'm truly, truly hoping that that happens. Um, interesting thing, just a note. It's kind of funny. For all these four years when Trump was president, all this different controversy and everything that happened today, the biggest controversy that I saw was the Biden executive orders that was the big thing there's a a controversy the new york times and by the way everybody's saying that you know liberal publications or liberal entities are not going to attack biden i mean i understand the sentiment there's some validity to that but at the same time the new york times came out with an op-ed recently uh accusing biden pointing fingers at biden for saying he's issued too many executive orders 
He issued more executive orders uh, than any president in history to this point in his presidency so far. Just for reference, Trump had issued many more executive orders than Obama. Obama had issued slightly lesser executive orders than Bush. So it's not like unprecedented executive orders haven't been a thing uh, in the recent past, but they were. So anyway... um, and, and Ian makes a point. I hope it doesn't happen, Ian. I really hope it doesn't just keep going four years executive orders, four years reversed executive orders, four years executive orders. It, it's got, we got to start legislating. So the New York Times editorial board basically uh, called Biden out. They said, look, Biden, if you want to tackle the big problems in this country, you've got to pass legislation. You've got to get it through the congressional uh, houses. You've got to get it through the House. You've got to get it through the Senate. You can't simply just sit back and sign executive orders. They don't have enough teeth. And, and the interesting thing was that Biden himself had accused Trump of relying too heavily on executive orders. And so they were calling him out saying, oh, you called out Trump for using executive orders so much. Now you're using them so much. And there's some validity to it, right? But the, on the other hand, he's got to get things done. He had to get the student loan thing done. He's got to get the Defense uh, Production Act done. He has to tackle a lot of his executive orders dealt with COVID. So there's a reason for it. But nonetheless, it was valid. It was valid to call that out. And we hope that we don't have to continue to rely on executive orders and that we can actually legislate going forward. Um, that's my hope. I think that's most of your hopes. I think that's the hope of most of the country. And hopefully we'll get to that point. It's just funny that that, to me, was the big controversy this week. Instead of tweet storms or crazy controversial comments or uh, massive scandals, what we have is a the New York Times fighting with Biden over executive orders. And quite frankly, I don't really hear about Biden, right? I don't really hear him. I don't see him. He's not all over my TV screen. He's not all over my Twitter He's just being a president somewhere, and I can go about my life. And you got to admit, whatever party you're in, it's a little refreshing. But that's where we are with that. One more point before we get Neil on the phone and we discuss this GameStop thing, which is, I'm sure is the primary news that's on everybody's mind, because that's the news of the week, really. That's really the, the primary thing. Just this, this lady, this Marjorie Taylor Greene, this uh, congresswoman who's a QAnon-er. She's a QAnon supporter. Um, I've talked about her before. She introduced uh, impeachment articles against Biden a few days. I think maybe the day he was inaugurated. She's very controversial. She doesn't seem like she has the intelligence or, inf- you know, she's not informed enough to be a congresswoman. Nonetheless, she was elected to a district in Georgia, which I think is a prime reason why we really need to start, you know, tackling gerrymandering. If there's one thing they should be able to get bipartisan support for, although who knows, And if there's one thing we truly, truly, truly need to tackle in this country, it's gerrymandering. You can't have these far-left people, and you can't have these far-right people just getting elected to these districts because they have the loudest voice, and they yell the loudest, and they seem the most ignorant, and they're the most team player, for lack of a better term, on their party's side, as opposed to being people that are qualified to do the job of governing so that we can all prosper. You just can't do that. You can't. So we've really got to get to a point here. We've really got to get to a point where we get rid of gerrymandering and we do away with these people. Because this Marjorie Taylor Greene, now videos came out. She was harassing the kid David Hogg. She called him. It was He's one of the kids that was a Parkland activist after the shooting at the Parkland High School in Florida. He was, I don't believe that was the name of the high school. I think it might have been the town. But 
He was one of the activists. I understand he wasn't that popular amongst gun, gun enthusiasts. But she followed him around, harassing him. He wasn't even answering her. She's yelling at him on video. She called him Little Hitler. Um, she said he was an actor. He was a plant. She disparaged him in all these different ways. It was all over the Internet. Uh, so it's a big controversy now. Several Democratic members have called for her to be removed from office. She was appointed to the Education Committee, which just doesn't make sense to me. Um, she's she's really, 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 really come out to really just be this bigoted, ignorant person who's a serious threat. And the fact that she has voting power in the United States Congress and the United States House is pretty scary. So she continues to kind of be the caricature, the tabloid-esque uh, fixation of the media and it's just worth noting her recent exploits those being the videos that came out those being all of those things that came out about her which was all very 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 disturbing and I would hope that there's some mechanism to keep people like her at bay because it's quite scary that she has a seat and it's quite scary all of the things that are surfacing about her right now quite frankly it's pretty 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 nutty nutty stuff and with that being said we see the impeachment proceedings we've pretty much heard from republicans in the senate that they don't care what the evidence is they don't care what happens they're not impeaching trump he should be held accountable for what he did but we're not gonna we're not gonna take any role in it so i don't know guys i i have faith i am crossing my fingers that we can be bipartisan i'm crossing my fingers that we can find some compromise i'm crossing my fingers that we can get some serious legislation through that will help all of us in this country and i was recently just talking to a buddy of mine who's another fellow attorney who's a conservative a conservative he was a trump supporter he voted for trump uh, but we were able to find a lot of common ground. We are just talking about different issues and how we could tackle them in this country. Climate change, racism, uh, all kinds of things. And we had a lot of similar ideas. And one of the things we said was we wished that this partisan nonsense where it was just like football allegiances where my team is everything and your team sucks, which seems like what they are now. Republicans got to support Republicans no matter what. Democrats got to support Democrats no matter what. Instead of calling each other out, instead of working together, has really just hindered our progress in this country. And you guys know me. One of the things I catch the biggest crap for, one of the things I get into the biggest, gives me the biggest agita, I get the most agita by far when I'm calling out the left. Because when I call out the left, people come at me from every angle. They're not having it. It's a big deal. But I do it. I do it because you got to be honest. You got to call out what makes sense and what doesn't make sense. That's the only way to get to a place where we're actually conquering problems and tackling problems and we're actually getting along because we've dealt with certain problems even if we disagree to high heaven on other issues that are more trivial that don't really matter. We've got to continue to get to that place and right now I'm crossing my fingers but by all indications it doesn't look like Republicans are going to work with, with the administration but we'll see. We'll see because this impeachment thing, I mean, how could you not listen to the facts? Listen to the facts. Democrats should listen to the facts and Republicans should listen to the facts. No one should have their mind made up yet. That's not how it should be. So it's just, you know, a little disappointing to hear. Anyway, all that aside, all that aside, GameStop. GameStop. So this week, for those who don't know, which pretty much all do know, I'm sure, there's, a, there's an app. There's an app. It's an investment app, right? It's been out for a while. Many people I know, I've been on it. People have been on it for a long time. This investment app, which is called Robinhood. Robinhood, basically what it did is... Robinhood, um, and I apologize for the music cutting out. I'm just getting ready to uh, call in our guests. But um, Robinhood 
is a is an investment app. It's an investment app. And um, what Robinhood does is essentially allows the small guy, the little guy, you and me, who are not Wall Street people, we don't invest regularly, it allows us to... Um, it allows us to invest in stocks just that we find to be interesting. Stocks that may pique our interest. We can just buy and sell stocks from the flip of a cell phone, right from our bank account, without worrying about having licenses, without going through brokers, without going through different other mediums that would allow us to trade with financial advisors, etc. Um, so Robinhood's really become a prevalent thing in the... Um, really become a prevalent thing amongst just regular small-time investors who don't necessarily have a lot of stock expertise just to invest in things here or there. Now, I have a, obviously a financial advisor that invests my actual deferred compensation funds from work in diversified bonds, diversified securities that steadily grow. And those securities have mitigation built in so that you grow on one end if you have some high risk, but you have other things that are slow growing that are low risk that mitigate your risk of losing everything. But it's fun if you take a couple grand, a couple hundred dollars, and you invest it in different stocks at the retail level in things like Robinhood, and that's what people have been doing. Now, what happened is, and I'll get into more technical detail with Neil when he calls in, um, this last week, or it was really been going on longer than that, but this last week is when everybody kind of heard about it. Somebody on Reddit, basically, the message board forum Reddit, said that they were feeling GameStop. And so if you don't know how the stock market works, the more that people buy up a stock, the more popular a stock gets, the more that the, – the higher the value goes. The higher the value goes, right? So people kept buying GameStop even though GameStop as an entity is closing stores. It's not necessarily a very stable company. All these retail guys who are just guys like you and me were just buying the stock because if it shot up, because everybody else is buying it, it didn't matter that the underlying health of the company was not good. It didn't matter. If, if it went up and then you sold it, you bought it low, you sold it high, you made a bunch of money. So some guys made a ton of money. I think it was at $2 at one point and it was up to $300 plus uh, last time I checked. So what happened was then... There was hedge funds who were short sellers, and I'll let Neil get into the technical aspects. They were short sellers of it, so they lost a lot of money when these Redditors and these regular guys started buying this stock in GameStop. And because the hedge funds lost a ton of money, and there was all this volatility in the market with all these other stocks, the rumor was that AMC, which is the movie theater company, and then BlackBerry, which is something we've really never even talked about in the last 10 years. We used to have BlackBerry phones. We haven't had them in for a long time. Everybody said, well, those are the next ones, right? Start buying those stocks because the retail investors are going to inflate those stocks next. And they're going to be the next way we're going to make a ton of money. And then Robinhood and a lot of these other mediums that allow and enable retail investing at the consumer level limited your and my ability to buy those stocks. And they limited your and my ability to buy GameStop, AMC, BlackBerry. They basically blacklisted those stocks so that we, we couldn't do that manipulation. We couldn't buy those things. 
Now, I've heard from a lot of different people, right? Some people say this is horrible because, you know, it's a free it's a free country. It's a free market. You know, hedge fund managers manipulate the stock market, and it costs us all jobs, and it costs all of us our livelihoods and our retirements. But then as soon as some Joe Schmoes want to manipulate the market and it costs hedge fund managers a lot of money, you put a stop to it. That seems rigged. That seems wrong, right? It seems almost like a conspiracy to keep the little guy down, right? Now, that, there's some validity to that, right? There's some validity to that argument. And, and there's some validity that the, the imagery, that the, the optics are horrible, right? That the optics say that, you know, we say you can get ahead if you take a risk. We say you can get ahead if you invest. We say anybody has access in this country. But then we turn around and we limit it and we shut the door on you as soon as you start beating us at our own game, right? They, there's this, this notion out there that that's the case, right? And then there's people on the other side that say, no, 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 no. Market volatility is, is a bad thing and investing without really ha- understanding the underlying dynamics of companies and just outright manipulating the prices is really bad for the overall economy. And it's bad for Joe Schmo, the regular guy, because if the regular guy took, you know, say the regular guy took 20 grand and that was his life savings and he put it all on GameStop at 200 and he didn't sell it in time and then it collapses or he put all his money in in blackberry and then it collapsed or whatever it was he's going to lose everything because he's not an informed investor and we got to maintain some level of of uh, validity to the markets because we all have licenses that enable us to trade and we can't just let anybody walk in and trade and there's something to be said for that so with that all said I don't know enough about this stuff other than my own little visceral opinions as a private person. I don't know enough about stocks and investing and the markets and the licensures and the regulations and Robinhood and hedge funds. I don't know about all that enough to really have a concrete opinion one way or the other. So what I did is this is Logic and Larry. This is we bring in informed people just like you and I to tell us information we didn't know. There's an individual named Neil. I went to school with him. I won't tell you exactly what level of school, but I went to school with him. I went to law school with him, I'll tell you that. I went to law school. He's brilliant. He's one of the hardest people I've ever debated with. He's tough to, to get one over on. He and I have butted heads time and time again, but the reason we've butted heads is because, just so you know, before you even hear from him, Neil is a progressive Neil is a very progressive person. He's more progressive than me on almost every issue that I know. He's a progressive. We butt heads on those issues the most. I am way more centrist than him. He is way more progressive than me. But he has expertise in the finance sector. He has legitimate, true expertise in the finance sector. And I want him to join us to explain some of the things that are going on and to give us his take and his opinion on what is going on. So I want to get him on the phone, get his take, and then once he gives us more information, he lets us know his take on everything. We all get more informed so that we can inform our colleagues, etc. People can comment and ask him questions. He will hang up. People can call in and comment or ask him questions, and then he will call back and respond if we're going to go that way. But I thought it would be a good idea. I thought it would be a good idea to get Neil in here, and Andrew asked the question. He's been in here. He's been in here before. His name is not Neil on his Facebook. You can put it together if you want later. He's been in here. I've mentioned him before in his alias. He's around. He's on statuses. You've seen him. You just don't know it. All right? So I'm going to get him on the phone now, and we're going to discuss the Robin Hood fiasco, and I'm looking forward to getting him on and bringing that to you guys. Another Logic and Larry exclusive, another knowledge spread 
to help all of us proliferate the right information, the logical information. Skype going. Hello? Neil, what's up? Hey, how's it going, buddy? All right, what's up, brother? So, first off, you are calling, if my calculations are correct, from the east side of Manhattan right now? Yeah, we're in the Upper East Side here. Upper East Side, and but you originally hail from, I'd say, the Mid-Atlantic states. Is that accurate? Yeah, Would you... from, uh, from Virginia, yeah. <laughs> so you're from Virginia originally, and now you're over in Manhattan. So it's great to have you on the show, brother. We go back a long way. Um, look, I, I already kind of gave him a primer. Uh, to who yeah, I told you not to call me an expert. I just have uh, experience. I'm not, uh, I'm not an expert. Yeah, he's not an expert, but he has legitimate experience. So look, I'm sure you've prepared, so I can ask questions, but at the same time, if you kind of want to take something and run with it or, or hit something I haven't hit, go for it. I mean, where I want to start, I don't know where you thought we should start, but can you just kind of break down, like with technical knowledge, but in somewhat layman's terms, you know, most people know that there was GameStop, hedge fund guys were shorting it, people bought it, they got mad, whatever. But, like, what were the dynamics? What really happened with that whole thing? Like, you know, from a more technical angle. Can you tell yeah, us that? Of yeah. Yeah. So, first, as you give your disclaimer, I just say, you know, I'm an attorney licensed to practice in the state of New York. However, everything we say on this podcast has been for entertainment purposes. Um, and you should not interpret anything as uh, legal advice. And if you have any legal questions or require legal representation, make sure you retain services of an attorney licensed to practice in your jurisdiction. You Thank hire Larry. You. Yes. Give some extra money in case the uh, <laughs> podcast thing don't work out. Thanks, Neil. Thanks. Uh, you have any sponsors yet? You got you got that Manscaped sponsor? No, not yet, bro. I got nothing. I got. I'm just I'm just operating on fumes and good vibes. That's all I got. That's all I got. Yeah, we'll get you some here. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, um, you know, my background is like the legal and regulatory side. Obviously, you know, if you walk into one of these financial institutions and you talk to um, the uh, the traders, you know, those guys are like, you know, super experts in um, all the different types of, uh, you know, activity on the market side. But um, just as a little bit of background for those who maybe don't understand the mechanics of these transactions, um, you know, in the stock market, if you think something's going to go up in value, you bet long. Mm -hmm. And if you think something's going to go down in value, you bet short. Um, the easiest way to – you can do any of these things with, obviously, derivatives and options and things like that. But the easiest way to uh, bet long is to buy a stock and hold it sell it later for more money. And if you want to bet short, you execute a short sale. So okay. the mechanics of a short sale are that you borrow the stock from someone – and then you sell it on the market, and then later on down the road, at some point, you will go out into the market and you will buy that stock back, and you will deliver it back to the person who loaned it to you, to the lender. And if the stock went down in value over that time period, then you can pocket the difference. Right. So basically, um, a couple of uh, key features is that when you know it's when you're borrowing stock, it, it, in some ways, it's just like when you get a loan for your car. They're mm -hmm. going to ask you to put down uh, a little percentage of that, uh, like a down payment. They refer to it as margin, mm -hmm. and then you might have to pay interest. Mm -hmm. And then there's a, important features of these arrangements. Um, the first is because the uh, the asset value, the asset, the value of the underlying asset, the stock, can fluctuate so much um, that the lender can call for more margin. They'll call it a margin call and they can ask the borrower to provide some additional cash 
And then also the lender might have the option to just call the stock in, meaning at some point they just go to the borrower and say, I want it back. And then right. the borrower was obligated to go out into the market and, uh, and, and, and buy that stock. But one key difference to remember between betting long and betting short in these ways is that if you buy long, you can only lose as much money as you invest. So if you go out and you buy $100 worth of stock, and the company goes bankrupt, you mm -hmm. lost $100. But when you're selling short, there is theoretically no limit on how much money you, you lose. Because if you borrow the stock and sell it for $100, in theory, it could go up to a million dollars. There's there's no limit on right. how much money you can lose. Right. Now, let me ask you this, because you just brought all these margin, margin call, which, by the way, you know, I don't have any bashfulness. I had no, I always heard those terms so many times. I had no clue what they meant in practicality and practice. And now I'm understanding them in terms of like a car loan analogy, which you brought up, which made me understand them way easier. So just one more time, like let's talk about specifically, say GameStop at $50. Would I be correct in saying, if you're selling short, you're gonna borrow that stock and then sell it for $50 because that's the current value. You're betting it's gonna go down. So you have to put some margin down, which is some, a down payment to borrow it. And then you have to maybe pay interest. So it's almost like a mortgage. You know, you, you borrow it, you put a down payment, right. you're paying interest on it while it's outstanding. If it goes down, eventually you're going to pay that debt back, which is just the stock, but you're going to pay it, you're going to buy it lower. So you made, sell it for, say it's 50, you borrowed it at 50, you sold it for 50, you know, a couple months later it's 25, you buy it for 25, you give it back. So your, your profit is, the $25 minus any margin you initially put down in any interest, right? Well, you get the margin, you get the margin back. Um, okay. But, uh, you know, any interest payments you make, if there's, you know, interest associated with it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that that's the basics of it. And right. The, the only thing you're obligated to give back is the stock itself. It's not like uh, you borrow something at $50 and they expect to get $50 in value back. Right. You just, you just give back the stock. So um, right, so that yeah. so that that helps you because you're giving the stock back, and if it's worth less, all you got to do is buy the stock cheap, and all they want yeah, is the exactly. stock. Yeah, exactly. That's right. why it's um, makes yeah, sense. That's why, but on the on the other side of that, that's why you can uh, you know lose theoretically unlimited amounts of money. So let me ask you that too. So when you're saying theoretically you could lose unlimited amounts of money, that makes sense to me. And you said you said that the lender could call back. It was a margin call. Is that what you said? A margin call or is a margin no, call when the, the, the margin call would be asking for additional margin to be put down. Gotcha. But uh, depend some some of the arrangements will give the lender the option just to call the stock. You know, say they lend you the stock, but at some point, you know, they want to sell it. Right. So there could be a situation where somebody has held GameStop for multiple years. They're just a buy and hold investor, and then all of a sudden they open up their uh, trading app and they find out it's worth a hundred times what it was worth six months ago, and they're like, mm, "I want to sell it now." Right. You know, it's so a situation where they might want to they might want to call yeah. it back so they can sell it themselves. That makes sense. So now, when they say they they want the stock back now, then then the the person who borrowed it, even if they so you're you're what you're saying is. You know, you you could easily say, well, you you borrowed it. Now it's going up. Just sit on it until it goes back down. Don't cry. But you're saying the lender, the initial lender, could say, give it back to me. I want it back now. I don't care that it's worth a million dollars and you're out seven hundred thousand dollars. I want it now. And then the person yeah. who tried to short it is bankrupt. Or yeah, they that's not necessarily a feature of every arrangement. Right. Um, but I know it's an option. It, it might be a default feature, but. You know, when when um, 
you had these, uh, you know, uh, arm's length transactions between like sophisticated actors, like, you know, um, uh, you know, counterparty financial institutions. You know, they can you know craft the arrangements with as much detail as they want. Right. Um, but then, like, you go on like fidelity, like if they give you the option to um, to uh, borrow some stock, you know, they might have like you know default arrangements, default provisions, something like that. Makes sense. Okay. Now let me ask you this. Now you tell me because you prepared for it. Do you think we should go now into the kind of the mechanics of this new retail, this newly emerging retail market with like Robinhood and whatnot, and the differences, you know, that that presents and the challenges, or do you think we should jump right into this GameStop situation and what transpired there? Uh, we can go into the um, – we can talk about the specifics of uh, what happened here because that's the most interesting part. Yeah, so let's talk about that. So now if you just want to run with it, run with it. I'll ask you questions as it as it comes. So Sure, I can give yeah. you with like a little bit of background here and then you can ask me questions as they uh, come up. Yeah. Um, so another important uh, part of the mechanics of um, short selling um, or the short selling market is – it's called the short squeeze, and I'm sure people have seen that uh, yes. written in some of these news pieces. So a short squeeze is when a seller needs to cover the short sale, mm -hmm. um, either because the, the stock was called back by the lender or because you know the price is going up a lot and they just want to stem the bleeding and close the position. They want to just buy the stock back so they won't lose any more money right. and just close the position. So, But then due to limited supply or a big jump in price – they're forced to pay exorbitant amounts of money to cover. So as you saw with the GameStop, if, if you uh, uh, entered a, a short position when it was $20 and now it's $200, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you're, you're in a squeeze there. You're going to lose, what is that, like 10 times the money just to cover yes. and close the position. So what happened here was that it, it wasn't just that that, um, you know, somebody jumped on Reddit and said, you know, hey, we should pump up, you know, GameStop or these other stocks. Somebody learned through publicly available information, you know, there's a lot of, you know, stats and research that float around the financial mm -hmm. industry. Somebody learned that GameStop and a handful of other stocks were the most shorted in the market. Okay. Um, such that, you know, GameStop was the most shorted. Uh, like the stat was that. 140% um, of the total market float, which is the total available shares in the market, 140% were shorted, which is just, you know, it just basically just tells you that the entire market um, is down. And if everybody had to go out and grab uh, stock to cover their positions, that uh, it's like a game of musical chairs, right? Mm -hmm. Like somebody would be left, you know, not necessarily without a chair, but having to play pay be stuck in a short squeeze and having to pay exorbitant amount of money right so um you know this person i guess posted this information and decided that they were going to bet long some of these stocks um, to try to if not drive up the price themselves or just you know take advantage when the price did go up as uh the short sellers tried to cover their positions so um, it's not a bad strategy. Um, you know, if you look at the stable market price of the stock, you know, before the pandemic, maybe at the end of 2019, mm -hmm. it was between four and five dollars. It hit a low in the pandemic, you know, early months of the pandemic at like just under three dollars. And mm -hmm. then in August, it seemed to be bounced back up into that four to five dollar range. And I think in August is when they started talking about this. And then you look, you know, at the end of September, it was double in price. You know, at the mm -hmm. end of uh, the next month, it was double again. So, you know, before it got, you know, all crazy and irrational, like, it, you know, it was a good trade. You make 100, 200% profit, um, you know, just by, you know, paying attention to, um, 
you know some of the the stats that are available out there and making good moves. But right. you know one of one of these uh, these hedge fund guys, um, uh, uh, Andrew Left, who's the founder of Citron Research. Um, he came out and uh, I think he even did like a live stream and he made arguments as to why they were right to short and why the other traders were wrong. And I will say that I don't have the exact quote. I wasn't following this uh, in real time and right. I, I don't know the tone of his statements. Right. So feel free to go and uh, you know your, your listeners can go and find details of that on your own. But this sort of fueled the Reddit hype and the traders decided they were going to drive the prices even higher to you know screw the man so to speak. And you know how like they are on, on the Reddit forums. Right. You know, these guys, I mean, it's the same sort of, um, you know, attitude that they had towards Bitcoin. It's like, you know, rocket ship to the moon, buy and hold, you know, real mm-hmm, hype buying mm-hmm, stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we watched all that play out for a few days. And then as you, as you mentioned before, you know, Robin Hood and other retail brokerage firms halted uh, trading, specifically uh, buy trades um, in GameStop and the other affected stocks. So that's a, that's a basics of uh, what went down. And, and so you're saying though too that initially when it was fluctuating higher, you know, not so ridiculously, that it was a strategy, right? That it was it could be competing strategies. There's somebody going short and there's somebody buying it, seeing that, and it was just these competing strategies. But then when one of the analysts came out and just basically in an analytical position, well, I still think it's better shorted. It kind of got irrational, and then everybody started jumping on it, and it, it really, really inflated. Yeah, I mean, the you know, it's you know, I, I don't think it's an uncommon strategy. I mean, when you see you know these the the stocks that are like the most shorted in the entire market, mm-hmm. especially something that's over a hundred percent shorted, mm-hmm. um, it's not a bad strategy to go out and you know put a little money um, in that stock, and then just you know wait until. Um, you know, the, some of these large short sellers try to cover their positions. When they try to cover those positions, especially a hedge fund that maybe has like you know hundreds of millions of dollars invested, I'm not sure if that's what was at stake here right. for some of these players. But you know, large amounts of money, it's going to make a move when you go into the market and try to cover that. Um, so I mean, yeah, I mean, it's not a bad strategy. But um, you know, you can see even going up to uh, you know January 12th, you know, the price was still hovering around. Um, you know, twenty dollars, but it was after that when we really started seeing like you know weekly doubling and then daily fluctuations of you know hundreds of dollars or more. Right now, let me ask you this. So, and when you say that, just to kind of uh, hash out a point that I think you made was that because they're going to have to cover their positions, perhaps if this if they have to grab the stock and give it back, that would inflate the price even more because they're buying they're they're buying cashing out these stocks. In massive amounts, right? Yeah, so, would- I mean, anytime anybody has to go into the market and um, you know they're going to bet long, either through derivatives or actually just buying the stock, you know, supply and demand curve. It adds to the uh, the demand supply of the equation and uh, drives the uh, the price up little by little. Obviously, a retail trader doesn't necessarily have that kind of market influence, but right. you know, market sentiment altogether. You know, all of the retail traders across the country. You know, maybe they're. Uh, you know, reacting to positive news or just have, have general positive sentiment or negative sentiment about, um, you know, a stock, then, uh, yeah, it can have an effect on the market price. So now, when this whole thing, so look, it was hovering around, would you say, five, six, you know, I know you don't know the exact figure, but it was yeah, hovering. stable market price, yeah. yeah, I mean, like, you know, during, before the pandemic and, you know, when things sort of settled out, like in the late summer, it was between four and five right. dollars, yeah. So now it's up to three hundred plus dollars a share. I think last I checked, that yeah, was where it went. Yeah, I think it's right. 
Now, the GameStop entity, and this is what always kind of bothered me, I guess. Like, I would, I would look at stocks, and I understand the speculation. I understand that the market itself is not dictated, nor is the price, necessarily by the underlying uh, attributes of the company day to day. But I always got frustrated. Like, well, they just released this you know, press release that this product's going to do great or that they got this finance infusion and the stock's not really going up or it went down. And I always got frustrated with the disconnect. But this seems like a really, really big disconnect, meaning GameStop's a brick and mortar store. It's it's a it's a selling its product, for lack of a better term, is is moving to a more downloadable, digitized uh, marketplace. It just seems like the disconnect here is vast from the stock price to the underlying health of the company. Would you say that that's accurate, even though it seems obvious? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's one of the key things here like that, that really uh, separates this entire situation from what you normally see in the market is that the, the price of the stock and the volatility is completely disconnected from any rational analysis of the currently available information. That's why... Um, you know, I personally thought that, um, you know, uh, regulators or SROs or even, you know, Robin Hood themselves might step in due to other concerns because, you know, it's, it's just completely irrational trading activity. But, you know, that some of the early talk about uh, or some of the early, um, I guess, um, things that they were talking about in the Reddit and elsewhere is that um, – you know, there was potential for the stock price to go up based on fundamentals, based on right. the actual health of the company. Because, you know, as the short seller said, like, and as you just touched on, like, it's a brick and mortar store that, you know, makes its money selling hard copy versions of video games in a world that is moving to an entirely digital format right. and platform. And, you know, these are all like stores and malls, and all the malls are closing. And so, like, you know, all of the short sellers, and, you know, obviously, you know, the market in general agreed that, you know, this was a dying non-competitive business. But um, they did, um, obviously, when you, when you look at a company like that, that if it wants to survive and be competitive in this video game, this digital space, that they were going to basically have to start from a blank canvas from that perspective. And there's a lot of potential. Right. I mean, like there's still a lot of money in the video game market. Right. And, you know, there's a lot of companies out there that are creating these um, developer platforms like Steam and um, Epic Games and, you know, all of these, they're coming up with their own developer markets, these platforms where you just create an account and put it on your desktop and then you can buy your games through that. So, like, there's, there's still a lot of potential if they chose to go that route. And they brought on uh, this gentleman by the last name of Cohen, mm-hmm. who I believe owns like 13% of the company, and they brought him onto the board, and um, uh, he was associated, maybe he was the founder or otherwise associated with some of the success of the company Chewy. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so I know I of them. Yeah. People thought that he could do good things with the company, and it actually did have an upside. But of course, you know, that right. upside is not... Um, in any way attached to you know these prices. So let me ask you this. I mean, so there there's some of the the purported upsides or downsides to a company are obviously speculation and, and some of it educated speculation based on analysis, like you just laid out with what some of the people could have seen for the growth potential of GameStop despite the limitations of its current business model. Um, what? Where do we draw the line, I would say? And I'm not saying that you're, you necessarily have the authority on it or you, you have all the answers. But, I mean, 
some of it you could always construe some level and i'm not in any way saying that i mean we objectively know that this level of speculation is vastly disconnected from the underlying you know company but at what point do we draw that line right like who is to say that you're vastly overvaluing this stock based on the fundamentals you know or or you're just maybe you're a dreamer and you you truly believe in this thing i mean where do we draw that line because i think some would say that some stocks you look at the underlying health of a company and it, it doesn't seem to comport with the stock price and that's just a way of life in the stock market who are you to tell these you know mom and pop guys out here not to believe in GameStop or any other stock. I mean, where do we draw that line? Who makes that call? Is there a mechanism there? Do you think there should be? What should we do? Just kind of that general question. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, and I guess, you know, this is, you know, it, it feels like something that, like, we haven't had to answer before because it's sort of a new player in right. the market space. Like, this this retail buyer who like acts irrationally and sort of sticks to their guns, you know, and they get it from the whole Bitcoin community, the whole yes. like, buy and hold, you know, where they're used to, you know, betting lots of money on something that doesn't have like by its nature doesn't have fundamentals and it's a hundred percent purely speculative. Yeah, that when, is a good know, point. This, this entire market is controlled and well is, is, built on rational analysis and, you know, responding to economic incentives. And it's controlled by, or I should say influenced by regulators who have an interest in market stability. Right. So like right. at what point do those interests overcome, you know, what these people are saying, well, like it's a free market, we should be allowed to do this. You know, right? It, it's a, it's a good question. I mean, people smarter than myself would, you know, might have to answer that. Makes sense. I don't know if it's smarter, but maybe in position, but whatever. But I I hear you. I, I agree. I mean, it's a tough question, and, and I don't know the answer. I don't think either, you know, any of us know the answer. But and the other question is like, you know, with with Bitcoin, you know, like I said, it naturally doesn't have fundamentals. Right. So it's always going to be a hundred percent speculative. Right. But these types of investments do. So the question is. Like how long till like these people actually go away? Like right now, as you said, like it's closing another day. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, nearly a hundred times it's you know what we would think is mm -hmm. a stable market value. Mm -hmm. But the question is like how long will that last? Because really, like these are just a few retail traders in a sea of monster financial institutions both on the buy side and the sell side right and like these like in all of these you know these existing financial institutions and intermediaries are the players that make these markets work so like if this stock just sits up here like there's a chance that like these financial institutions just say well like well i'm not dealing with that stock anymore and then all right. of a sudden the game stock game stock equity game stop equity no longer has market makers and then like it's not really then it's not really participating in the normal equity markets right so like, i guess like the the question is like if you just like let them let these guys like play around in this price range like how long until like they just sort of you know like you know walk back in the closet right and i mean here's here's the other interesting thing i mean and we're getting a little bit into more philo philosophical things and this may be more neil like the the just general individual person you know as opposed to somebody who knows about finance but 
there seems to be this sentiment, you know, in the country and, and just in general, maybe with people in general, right? Maybe it's not anything new where, you know, who is somebody who's an analyst or an expert, not that you are, but, you know, anybody who is, who, who is somebody who's an analytical mind telling me that they've done the research on this company and, and it's simply unsustainable and simply too high and, and it's going down and there's almost this, you know, it's hard, I don't know if it's a question or just a statement, but there's this, this I think, effort on the part of people who, are, who, who know the, the things that they're working with, right? They understand financial instruments, they understand the valuation of companies, they understand how, how the finance sector works. They understand how the finance marketplace works. And at some point, they just step in and say, this is getting crazy. I'm going to put my foot down because I know how this works and this isn't it. And this is irrational. This is off the charts because of the sanctity of the marketplace, because of all the things you just said, like people are just not going to even deal with it anymore because of stability. I'm going to step in and just tell you no matter what you think. You're, you're on pause for a minute. And then there's the other side that says, who are you to tell me? And I guess where, where I'm coming from is kind of like you need people sometimes to say, hey, hey, pause. Like you don't know what you're doing, and I do. Pause. I mean I don't know if people – I don't know if you have an opinion on that. I don't know if you, if you care to comment. I don't know if people do, but it seems like that's kind of what happened here. Do, we, do you know what happened here when they paused the actual retail markets and what the, what, how they were able to do that, why they did it, who did it? Who did it, first of all? Who? Yeah. So, just real quick, so the, um... And anything I'm talking about that I don't, that I'm getting wrong, correct me, please, because I'm just... No, no, no. No, you've, you've got it right. So, yeah, I mean, like, in terms of, like, you know, the interest we have in controlling this, you know, preventing this type of behavior as it, as it applies to the general market, you know, it's, you know... The regulators and the SROs have a duty and interest in maintaining market stability, and everybody really has an interest. You know, all the players, all the financial institutions generally have an interest in, in maintaining, you know, market stability. And, you know, when you have asset prices like this become completely detached from the body of available information, then that means the market's not being rational, and, of course, it can lead to problems. Like, right. at a high level, you talk about, like, potential instability and, even more importantly, like, the erosion of trust in the market so basically mm -hmm. all the parties involved have an interest in getting things under control the only people that don't are the people who you know are participating in this type of rational behavior and the people you know who want to take their profits right you know, specifically to understand why a, a brokerage firm and this just so everyone knows like this type of firm robin hood and fidelity and all those firms they're referred to as retail brokerage firms. That's a technical term for what these are. Mm -hmm. These are registered, you know, with as brokerage firms with FINRA. They're regulated by FINRA, who operates under the purview of the SEC. So, like, you know, I guess a lot of people who are amateurs into the space, even some of the people who are participating, some of the people on the Reddit boards, mm -hmm. you know, they need to understand that like the stock market isn't some heavenly plane where like you, you know, you buy. Uh, you place a buy or sell order, and then stock, you know, magically, you know, floats out of the ether. That's, <laughs> right. you know, I didn't understand the mechanics of, you know, stock settlement when I was, you know, doing day trading, when right. I was in my 20s either. Right. Um, but like, what happens is, you know, you place your order with these these retail brokerage firms, and they aggregate their order flow, and they have to get them filled by a market maker, which is just another large financial institution. 
that either puts itself out there to fill these orders off its own book mm-hmm. or to take these orders and go out and get them filled on it, you know, find another buyer or seller mm-hmm. for the other side of that transaction, either like on an exchange such as the New York Stock Exchange or, you know, in a dark pool or some other facility. So, mm-hmm. the, so like, you know, my f- first thought was that, you know, these are all, you know, regulated financial institutions. My first thought that there were like compliance concerns or liability concerns. Like a compliance concern would be like, hey, there's some suspicious trading activity going on here and we might be exposing ourselves to regulatory or legal liability. So let's pause and figure out what's going on here. You know, as I said, like they have to comply with SEC and FINRA regulations. And so, you know, they have to be aware of whether their platform is being used for illegal activity. Right, right. The other, the other concern would be liability concerns. And again, like, you know, just in a single transaction, there's all kind of intermediaries and players, and they're all governed by not only the laws and regulations, but also their individual contractual agreements. So I'm not an expert in that space. Mm-hmm. But, you know, my thought was, well, you know, the price of the stock is so volatile that in the time it takes to actually settle these trades, the price could change so dramatically yes. that due to some technical aspect of the arrangements, one of these firms it might be on the hook for the difference. So I thought maybe, you know, one of, you know, the parties or the intermediaries, you know, pulled out or, you know, just because the market was so lopsided with the, with the volume, uh, the, you know, the buy volume demand was that the market maker was just having an issue, you know, actually finding other sides of these transactions. It seems like that the issue was actually with the liability concerns. I think this some of this news just came out like in the last three hours, mm-hmm. but the brokerage firms came out today and said that trading was paused due to issues with the clearing houses used to settle the trade. So like just a little bit of background. Mm-hmm. After the, you know, the broker gets your order and then they send it to the market maker and then the market maker finds a counterparty for your transaction and fills it. And then once they've found that matching counterparty, a clearing house or a clearing agent stands in between the buyer and seller as sort of a trusted third party and guarantees that all parties will be made whole. Right. So in the time it takes to settle for equities, that's two days. Like they just guarantee that everybody will made whole. Like you know, almost if, escrow. You know, like like the the other the other person decides to leave the country or you know if it's a firm like they go bankrupt. Right. Right. And so to compensate for this settlement risk the clearing party requires collateral from the brokers and then what they're saying is that the clearing house because these trades became so risky because of the volatility that the clearing house was demanding additional collateral from Robinhood and from the other brokers that it was going to continue taking on the mm. risk of settling these trades so Make, yes, I mean, that, that's that's what they're saying as of today, and I mean that sounds like you know right along with business as usual. That doesn't surprise me at all. What did surprise me is that this behavior went on for so long without like somebody just raising regulatory concerns and saying, hey, like there's manipulation going on here. You know, like maybe you guys should pause and and get a handle on this. So so and and there's a lot to unpack there, but I think the gist of I think one of the things that that I think you're saying, and tell me if I'm right, is that I, 
I think some people conceptualize the purchase of stock, as you put it, was you put your order in Robinhood and you're essentially buying it out of the ether almost. Like you're going into a retail exactly. store that has an endless supply and you're just buying it. But that's right. not what it is. Right. So you're buying it from a seller and there's an intermediary that processes that order, finds you a counterpart to sell it to you, and there's a transaction. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, just because, you know, when we, because, you know, we, most of us, we're not participating in the market at an intricate level. You know, we see the Dow Jones industrial average go up every day, and we say, oh, you know, GE stock was $20. But just because the price of a stock is $20, it doesn't mean anybody's going to give you that stock for $20. Like, right. you know, the market is like those, those, you know, estimated prices are made up from an aggregate of a, you know, for liquid securities of a constant flow of buy and sell trades. I mean, right. you can download, you know, some of the, you know, like a Bloomberg terminal or, or pay for a Bloomberg terminal at one of those other trading platforms. And it's just a constant stream of, you know, offering a hundred securities at this price and selling, you know, a thousand securities at this price. And like, you know, there's now everything is, um, you know, electronic, everything computerized. These computers are constantly working in buying and, and uh, I'm sorry, in matching buyer sellers all day long. Right. And so like, yeah, that's, I mean, that's the complex way that, um, you know, you actually get your securities now when you place your order. And now the second thing I think that, that you, you kind of, I think, spoke about, which is interesting to me, is that there's this marketplace and there's all these, these different um, entities with different roles in the transactions that occur every day. And they're all regulated. And, and I, I guess I would, uh, you know, it's akin to, I want to say, somewhat a courtroom. Like you can only practice if you're, you've subscribed and ascribed and signed your name on the line to say you're going to abide by the rules of the courtroom or you're going to abide by the rules of a certain marketplace, of a, a real estate market or a builder. Anything that requires warranties, guarantees, liabilities, responsibilities, so that you all know you're operating on a, on a similar plane and on the basis of similar uh, assumptions that you can all make so that you can rely on each other to some extent. And so, right. right. So now people buying on Robinhood, they may be individual players with no licensures, but the entity that they're buying from Robinhood is then utilizing another intermediary. They're licensed. They, they have regulations they have to follow. And so, right. right. So that everybody's operating in this. And then when people start coming into the marketplace, without having to adhere to those regulatory regimes that keep them I don't want to say honest but but you know keep them operating on some premise of of validity then there's a problem and maybe Robinhood didn't just stop them to keep the little guy out perhaps these people just stopped and said these people are not operating on the rationality that the rest of us are it could cause serious volatility you Robinhood are are you are – you have to adhere to the rules, so you better stop it or we're going to stop it for you. I mean I know I said well, it ineloquently, I mean, in but – Yeah, well, I mean you know, Finner is a very hands-on regulator and of course after like the multiple financial crises we went through, um, you know, there's, a, there's lots of rules and regulations. You know, they all come out of – uh, you know the securities and the Securities Exchange Act of the mm -hmm. early 1930s. Mm -hmm. um, but you know they, Fender and the SEC requires these these registered these licensed financial institutions to have compliance programs, and these compliance mm -hmm. programs require them to have uh, controls in place that give them some assurance that illegal activity is not taking place, either being executed by their employees 
or you know by people using their system i'm not as familiar with the rules around uh, retail broker dealer right. activity because you know I work in the the bulge bracket financial institutions who we're dealing uh, almost exclusively with you know retail clients but you know for example I think uh, Finra fined uh, Jeffries uh, that broker for mm-hmm. not preventing uh, some retail level traders I believe they're retail level traders from using their platform to execute. Uh, manipulative trading activity. So, right. you know, as I said, Fenner is a very hands-on broker. You know, if there was blatant illegal activity going on the Robinhood platform, and it was such that if Robinhood was looking, that they would have spotted it, then the regulator might have something to say about that. Makes sense. Now, let me ask you if this analogy is way off, or if this makes some sense. In law. You can essentially pursue any legal theory, even if that legal theory is unprecedented or maybe, as some might call it, a stretch, so long as that legal theory is based somewhat on some valid basis. But if you just introduce a theory that's completely off the map and has no basis in law, it becomes frivolous. And then it becomes something you can be sanctioned for. Is it safe to say that some of the speculation and things, you have to base it on some level of sanity? Because if you just try to crowd a stock so that it flies up through the roof, you're just blatantly manipulating it. And it's not necessarily on any kind of you know, justified basis. And somebody who's got a license could get in trouble for something like that. Well, you don't necessarily have to have a basis. Like, There's nothing that stops you from... You know, opening up the app on your phone and closing your eyes and pressing random buttons and hitting buy. Right, you know, right, nothing, right, you know, true. You don't necessarily have to have any kind of like justification. It can be arbitrary and capricious. But, uh-huh. um, you know, I think when it comes to the prohibitive securities regulations, uh, it's it just it prevents you from doing things that would generally be viewed as unethical or manipulative. So, of course, we have uh, you know the 10b5 rules, and you're not allowed mm-hmm. to uh, use fraud to mm-hmm. execute uh, securities transactions or you know misstatements or omissions, and you're not allowed to use inside information because that's been interpreted to be a certain type of fraud. And specifically, when it comes to market manipulation, you know you've got the Securities Exchange Act Section 9. It's unlawful for any person to affect a series of transactions uh, raising or depressing the price of such security for the purpose of inducing the purchase or sale of such security by others. So it's, you know, you don't necessarily have to have any justification. They're just prescribing the certain behaviors that you are not allowed to participate in because we've basically come together and said these are unethical uh, or uh, otherwise unhealthy for the market. Makes sense. Let me ask you this, Neil, because I think a lot of people, I think people tend, I mean, I saw so many posts, and I don't want to get into the cultural aspects. There's so many posts like, the suits did this, and the suits did that, and it's this me against them thing. And, you know, do we as a society, does the, the average, you know, the regular person, does the, you know, why does everybody, or, or do they not, just do they have an interest in the stability of markets? It seem, maybe seems obvious to me that we do. But maybe for people who don't know that or, or, I mean, 
why do every why does everybody have an interest in the stability of the markets you know because they they are so pervasive in in every aspect of the economy we saw in 2008 i mean what is what is everybody's kind of stake in a, in a stable marketplace where we don't just say if i want to over speculate to the to the brim to screw over some hedge fund it's my god given right and i don't care if it wreaks havoc on the market i mean why do we all have an interest in that if we right. do yeah no that's interesting because we see this a lot uh, in our society is that uh, even in the information age we have access to you know all the information you know basically ever generated uh that we still sometimes like don't understand you know even um you know the shallow details of some some of these complex entities or institutions, and that leads us to un- underappreciate them. Like uh, mm-hmm. you know, especially what we saw recently with the election and really the administration over the last four years. Mm-hmm. You know, people like underappreciated the and didn't really understand the functioning of the checks and balances in the federal government. Yes. Uh, but I mean, truly, uh, Wall Street and. Uh, you know the the traders and other participants therein get a bad rep uh, because it's partially you know secretive, so it creates the information void. Right. And as we've seen over the last decade, when people come to have access to so much information and expect so much information that when there's an information void, uh, they fill it or somebody fills it for mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. Um, and also because, again, um, you know. Really, the public only sees the bad. They don't see the day-to-day good. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we all uh, see when someone is arrested or a firm fails uh, because of illegal or unethical activity. Uh, and then, of course, you know, people enjoy reading about, you know, hedonistic lifestyles and like rumors, right. stories like that. Um, and so that, you know, that uh, negative news is not balanced by positive news. And also, because the system is so deep and interconnected, it's the it's not easy to see necessarily all of the good the value to our society and to our economy. Right. Um, because no, you know nobody necessarily goes out and and quantifies that. But just at a high level, you know, the. The reason we have the most stable and desirable financial markets in the world is trust. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of that is trust in the U.S. dollar, of course, but a significant portion of that trust is in the stability, regulation, and enforcement of the markets and institutions themselves. This isn't uh, a third world country or an LDC. You know, people don't think that it's completely corrupt and that. The that every you know there are bribes and inside information. Right. People trust that the values that are the the prices of the assets. And we're talking about publicly traded stuff. People trust that the 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 prices that they see and they pay mm. and sell for these assets are rationally linked to the body of available information. Right. It's not because somebody has inside information. And you know they're they're bidding up the price, or somebody's doing a pump and dump, or you know somebody bribes somebody to execute a transaction or make a deal. People trust that what they're seeing is is rational information, and so it's so there's that aspect, and of course like the other unquantifiable benefits you know we get as American citizens by having the most trusted and the deepest and most diverse financial markets in the world 
but you know also then there's the you know the benefits that we see on Main Street the fact that without Wall Street you know everybody would be paying a few extra points on their on their mortgages you know mm-hmm. you wouldn't necessarily be out everything that you buy with credit would be more expensive um, if you actually look into how major corporations do business these days you realize that they don't operate with it's like a small business where they have a pool of funds that they use for their day-to-day expenses large corporations fund their daily expenses on the short-term credit market so if all of those expenses go up then everything costs more and we get paid less and the the cost of everything goes up so it's you know it, it really by you know providing stable markets by providing financial products by interconnecting and everything and you know diversifying risk and managing risk and things like that everybody benefits in every aspect of their life but again like these things are difficult to see and nobody really goes out and tries to advertise and quantify these things you know that's a all of that was enlightening to me personally and also you know i don't want to delve into another topic for another topic for another day it's probably for you and I on our own but the things I do day to day similarly people don't see the ins and outs and the good people there and what's actually happening and so the perceptions take take on their own narrative and take on their own reality and and I was even somebody who don't doesn't understand or didn't understand I'm capable of it you know conceptually but don't don't know the ins and outs of the financial sector and how it all works and I think Part of the perception that we have now that these guys are trying to screw us, we got to screw them, doesn't take into account the actual knowledge if you actually knew how it worked and all the men and women in that sector, all of the good things they're doing and how they're keeping a lot of these, our own economic day-to-day viability going and and livable and and not overpriced and us able to buy homes and, and those things. We obviously both agree we need changes here or there to make it more equitable. We both have similar beliefs in that regard, but we just tend to look at these narratives of people and groups of people, especially, I guess, in places where there's information voids, as you said, or where there's some distrust, distrust or an ascribing of elitism or an ascribing of being above everybody else's law or whatever that enable people to kind of ascribe qualities to them that maybe contribute to our misunderstanding of the fact that the industry itself and those working in it actually have a vested interest similar to ours in the stability of all of our economic health right and it doesn't i mean that doesn't mean that uh that there aren't like systemic issues as right. you mentioned yes. that you know there are, of course you know in every system there's some good and some bad and you know you we should be looking at addressing this i think one thing that happens uh, in our society today mm-hmm. is that if you criticize a system at all people think that means that you want to eliminate that system altogether right when a lot of people are saying like no no it's a good system it just needs significant changes and i mean that's the way it should right. be when you're when you're creating something from scratch is you know if you want to talk really high level as we're doing with this this western liberal experiment that is mm-hmm. the united states of america when we come up with a new body of legislation or we you know create a new government entity or like a new program to benefit society, it's not going to be perfect. And what you should be able to do afterwards is go in and make the tweaks and, and adjustments you need 
to make it you know closer to a perfect system and the same thing with our financial markets and financial regulation like of course you know some of the st systemic outcomes are bad you know and a lot of people are saying um, you know pointing to the fact that like private equity funds would buy companies and liquidate them and then fire everyone and, right uh, you know and of course like you know maybe that's one of the system systemic outcomes that you could uh, you know Changed by making tweaks to the system, but overall, I would say that you know we all we all benefit from the system. And right. just one really specific example, right? Mm -hmm. Like when you go into, um, like when we we all go to college, and a lot of us took out student loans. But when you're talking about whether it's home mortgages or student loans or car loans, like the bank doesn't like just give you that money and issue the loan and then keep the loan on its books what it does is it turns right. around and it pulls all of those loans together right. and then it passes them up to wall street and wall street chops them up and sells them into investors as asset-backed securities mm -hmm. and then you know, those entities that bought those loans from the initial issuing entities or banks the banks turn that money around and issue new loans so that's the reason like we're able to get student loans and people can continue to get mortgages and car loans. Right. And it's not that we wouldn't necessarily be able to get those things or those things wouldn't exist without this process, but I guarantee you there'd be a lot less of them and they'd be a lot more expensive. That makes a lot of sense. And, and, and bringing up those mortgage-backed like mortgage securities, you know, if you really understand the collapse of 2008 and you, and you delve into it, obviously it deals heavily in that, but I don't think many Unfortunately, and I don't know if it's whose fault it is that don't really understand the ins and outs and the mechanics and the actual underlying reasons why that financial collapse occurred, why certain entities needed to be bailed out. You know, people just don't have a grasp on it. I don't know how we get to a place where we proliferate information and we, we still call out the systemic problems within these institutions and rectify them. I just feel like with all the information we have at our fingertips, it, it it should be better. We should be proliferating more good information and tackling change better. And I know some of us are trying, but it just seems hard. It seems like there's a lot of misinformation to counteract the good information that could be out there that could just inform everybody. And I know it's a little well, it's, bit of a tangent. It's a it's a it's a problem. It's a it, because we feel as uh, you know good participating citizens that we should be aware and that we should form opinions on things mm. but the problem is to understand something like the you know the financial crisis to form an opinion on it you could spend years and years working at a PhD level mm -hmm. you know, before like you know you could really form a good opinion on what happened there and that's so we just as individuals we don't have the capacity we are incentivized and in some ways motivated in our society to form opinions especially nowadays with social media right we've mm -hmm. talked about this before yes social media has trained and incentivized us to react instead of analyze but you know we don't have the capacity to analyze the intricacies of all of the issues that affect us right we don't have the capacity to understand the financial system and the environment and politics and you know whatever else is out there voting like people don't understand the intricacies of the voting system or law yeah, enforcement or they things don't. like that but we're motivated and we feel the need to form opinions because at some point somebody is going to be making a decision and we want our voice to be heard right but it says a lot about you know the reason 
human civilization exists and we succeeded as a species is because of specialization. And that bled over into our politics, and that's why we have representative politics. We pay people to specialize in the running of the government because human specialization is how we succeed as a group. <laughs> yes. Um, so I mean that's you know that that's a whole different conversation separately. But there's a lot to be said for you know specialization and being able to actually trust the people that you select for that job. Makes I wholeheartedly agree. I think I preach that a lot on here, and I think. Sometimes it's difficult for people. I don't I don't know if it's an individual thing. I don't know if it's an American thing. I don't know what it is to accept that specialization is beneficial to all and sometimes you should not de- not be deferential in in terms of blindly deferential, but somewhat deferential or at least willing to listen to those who specialize in other areas that you don't and learn from them and listen to them instead of constantly feeling like, well, I'm there already and I'll tell them what's what. That's just my yeah, opinion. I mean, you know, we, but- we see that all the time, especially like with legislation. I mean, you and I have legal background and education and training, and so you know we sort of have an idea of like the process and the complexity of mm-hmm. passing legislation especially at a federal level mm-hmm. but like you know you'll see like you know they'll you know vote in you could have like a GOP voter and they'll mm-hmm. vote for a GOP representative or senator and then you know that senator will come out and say they took you know this position on this legislation and the person will you know denounce them <laughs> right. for taking that position where I'm like if you read the 600 pages of the legislation like, you know, because all the time we'll see like, oh, this, you know, senator, uh, you know, voted no or is against, you know, this bill that just came out. But, you know, you could have a 600 page bill and, at, you know, on the on the last page in like two point font, it could say, and we're going to feed your kids to the dog. <laughs> right, you know? right. Yes. Like, they could yes. just like that crap at the end. And it's like <laughs> you just don't understand the complexity. Yes. Of, of, this process to be forming opinions on it. Right. No, it's a it's a great point. It, it really is really is a great point. Now, final final kind of word on the the GameStop thing. I mean, look, going forward, is this something where you know it, can it survive in the way that they tried this week? I.e., look, it's an open market. Robinhood's this medium that is really great because it enables all these retail level investors to just put some of their own money. First of all, I'm not a financial person and I'm not speaking as a lawyer, but just personally, I wouldn't tell my friends to just go out on their own and start investing on their own on Robinhood as their life savings. I would tell them to get a financial advisor as I have. But aside from that, you know, is it is it going to be this system where, you know, they just regulate almost sporadically with Robinhood maybe where they're like, well, this specific stock we're putting a limit on today. Or is it going to be, do you think you're going to see a revamping of these retail level uh, places where they kind of make it harder for any of us to participate because of what just happened? I don't think they're going to make it harder for any of us to participate. I mean, Mm -hmm. really, you know, this is a very new issue, right? Mm -hmm. Stock's still trading above $300 a share. Uh, legislators just started screaming about it yesterday mm-hmm. and that you know the regulators said that they're going to take a look at it I think that it's very possible that some of the people who are participating in this and really instigating it uh, from the beginning might have broken federal securities laws so okay. it's very possible that the that the laws and regulations already exist like you know this is sort of you know, it definitely falls into the 
uh, anti-manipulation provisions I mentioned from the Securities Exchange Act. Traditionally, those things are applied in things like pump and dumps. Right. Where, you know, yes. someone will buy a bunch of penny stocks and then feed a bunch of false information out mm. there and then wait for the idiots to buy in and mm-hmm. sell. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's important to note here that the you know these particular provisions, they don't require fraud or false information. They just have, you know, you just need basically to act for the purpose of inducing like fluctuations in the price or getting somebody else to purchase or sell the securities. So, you know, I do, the SEC, they archive market activity so that at any point in time they can go look back and apply their, you know, artificial intelligence tools if they're using them or, you know, manual review and go back and take deep dives and look at this activity. And they have the ability to, you know, archive and review these online message boards and communications. And, you know, they have subpoena power. You know, they can go out and get the information. I think they still have subpoena power. They can go out and get the information they need. So they're going to be looking at this. As soon as this became, like, you know, like big market news, like Mm -hmm. I knew, the SEC is going to be looking at this. And I think more likely than not, like some people are going to get in trouble, at least at the regulatory level, right. or the enforcement level. I don't think necessarily that it's going to get passed off to the DOJ. But there's a long way of saying, like, I think the laws already exist to sort of prevent this activity. Mm-hmm. The, 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 more, the bigger question is, you know, what is the effect of $0 broker fees going to have on the market going forward because right. you know when they have th- that's what robin hood really brought to the table i mm-hmm. mean you you and i have always been able to go and open an online brokerage yes be a fidelity or td ameritrade or something like that and just start you know yes. you know losing our money mm-hmm. on the stock market but you know what they did obviously is they put it in an app and then they started marketing you know specifically to millennials and i think there were some additional services and tools they had in there you know when i first looked at it I, you know, my first thought was like, well, I mean, I just think they're, you know, the easier you make it to do this, then like you open it up to like more low information actors. Right. You know what I mean? Yes. It's like, you know, now they say, you, you know, they have the apps where you could buy a car sitting on your couch. Yes. Say that I've seen that. Phone. Yes. But, but I was like, no, the more analysis and information you remove from the process. Yes. Like the worse that makes it for all consumers. Yes. Because then like the, because then the market becomes, the consumer market becomes less sensitive to lower quality and lower value would become less sensitive and then the that value can be uh, captured by by the manufacturer so in this case I thought oh great you know they're opening up you know trading and encouraging day trading basically and mm-hmm. portfolio churning to like a lower information group of actors not necessarily that they're dumber and more ignorant right. just that they're going to apply less information and analysis to the process and honestly that that's good for the, the large financial institutions because you know if you want to be it's you know the word has always been like if you want to be a retail trader like you just need to buy and hold because if mm-hmm. you go out sharing your portfolio and day trading think you're going to get it over on anybody you're not you're you're chum in the water mm-hmm. for the larger market makers and the, the other like big whale traders right so I mean, that, but you know, that's what they offered to the market. Really, I thought that was incredible with the zero-dollar broker fees, mm-hmm. because within like two months, all of the other major traders had done that, and I, I thought that, I mean, that's great because it changes the calculus. Because before, 
if you had only a little bit of money mm-hmm. to invest, mm-hmm. say like $100, and there was a $5 broker fee on a platform, then the buy and the sell trade to get in and out of that position was $10. That's yes. 10% of your investment. Yes. Which means you don't even see a cent of profit until that stock goes up 10%. Well, 10% is like you know just under the average annual return from the S&P 500. So mm-hmm. that's a long time before you see a profit if you ever do. So. The $0 broker fees definitely changed the calculus. And, you know, immediately what we saw, especially in the pandemic, is that, you know, it, what, you know, we would see market activity and I would talk to people at work and we would be like, this has got to be just people sitting at home bored trading their stimulus checks. <laughs> yeah, right, because right. Because like the equity prices were <laughs> detached from the current reality. Like people are, you know, these large companies are firing tens of thousands of people every day mm-hmm. and there's no, there was no vaccine in sight. Like we had no idea how long, you know, it would be mm-hmm. to where, you know, you could, you know, safely take a vacation or do anything. Mm-hmm. And yet like prices were going up. <laughs> right. And uh, I was like, this has to be people like those, you know, Tesla, uh-huh. you know, like that, that stock going up. That, it's yes. Just, it's just uh, <laughs> people trading on Robin and other platforms, spending their uh, stimulus checks. But you know, the interesting thing is going to be what happens when market sentiment shifts. Retail mm-hmm. traders, you know, tend to misinterpret or overreact to information, and they have more a tendency to panic than seasoned traders or algorithmic traders. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see uh, what happens to prices if there's sort of like a retail panic. Very, um, but yeah. but overall, again, I think you know eliminating broker fees was, in some ways, it's good for you know for the little guy. Makes sense. All right, makes a lot of sense. Neil, this was awesome. I I learned a hell of a lot, uh, a lot personally. I appreciate it. Yeah. No, this was fun. Yeah, this was. I think we should do this again. Not even necessarily just on this topic, but just like down the road, just any topic, or just have you on for whatever. Absolutely. Whatever you want. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be fun. And and my father's a listener, by the way. So now I know you don't want to. You're, you don't want to come too deep into Jersey till I go out there. I'm going to come out there twice, and then I'm going to have to drag you this summer deep into the sticks of Jersey just to come to a barbecue because now he's going to want to meet you, and his food's very good. So just letting you know. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, but, bro, like I'll, I'll take calls too, and if anything, I'll, I'll text you again to uh, hop on, but it's getting late, so probably I'll just take the calls and maybe have a follow-up uh, with you later on them. But it was a pleasure. I, I always learn something from you. I love talking to you, and it's it's you know whenever we get together since we were in class, I always always learn something, and always always love just exchanging ideas and thoughts with you, man. So I really yeah, appreciate you. Well. Yeah, really appreciate you taking the time to come on, and I'll talk to you very soon, man. All right, sounds good. Thanks a lot, Larry. All right, good night, Neil. Great, great. Look, this is the thing about this show. I'm not somebody who's all knowledgeable whatsoever. I know what I know, and I know what I don't know. And we should all know what we know, and we should all know what we don't know. And the whole idea of Logic and Larry is to be objective. Logic and Larry isn't just this blind adherence to logic. Logic and Larry is, I'm only going to operate on objectivity, and if I don't know the answer to something, I'm going to get the answer. And if I'm not sure how to talk about something, I'm going to set the parameters from people who do know. 
So with this great news story that came out this week, which was on everybody's radar, there's all kinds of stuff floating around, all different narratives, all different information, some good information, some bad information. I figured why not get somebody on who actually knew what they were talking about and actually get us all more educated on what's going on so that we could all go out into the world tomorrow and, and beyond and talk to our friends and colleagues and family members and just inform them. And we could form our own opinions after that. But we should all be operating on a plane where we all actually have objective knowledge. So it was just awesome to have Neil on. And, you know, that's just one sample. But we had Ian on uh, last month talking about the U.S. Postal Service. And it, people in my everyday life and in our everyday life and people all around us have levels of expertise in different industries and different things that they do. And we can all learn from them. Rick was on here talking about when he grew up in the West and traveling from Arizona to Montana. And many of us didn't know that experience and didn't know what it was like in those states in those times. And several people reached out to me discussing what Rick's story had meant to them and what they had learned from it. My point is we can all learn from each other on so many different levels. And if we continue to exchange information and share information with each other and continue to build in that way, we can only all become stronger and our society can only get better. So I hope this thing keeps growing. Uh, I am opening it up to calls. The phone is getting low and the phone is where I record. So I'm only going to be able to take a couple and I can't keep on forever. Um, but I'm going to take some calls. So for anybody who wants to call, it's uh, 973 536-2530. You can comment on anything going on today. Uh, the call I had with Neil, you could comment on the news. Uh, anything really that you want to discuss, I'm open to discuss. 973-536-2530. And uh, shoot me a call. Take a couple before I retire for the night. Um, Charles Riley is supposed to be scheduled for two weeks from now to come on the show to, to debate kind of left versus center politics. Uh, he confirmed with me. We're just going to make sure we confirm that later. Um, I have a couple other people, uh, Janelle Folks, who's a local uh, photographer and artist and now started a baking business. Uh, she's going to come on at some point soon to discuss things. Uh, anybody else who's interested in coming on the show, uh, I would encourage you to reach out to me. Just shoot me a message. Hit me up. Most, you know, If you know me, if you don't know me, just get to know me. Uh, and I'd love to feature anybody on. I don't care what you do on a daily basis or what your perspective is, but I'd like to have that perspective and that level of knowledge on the show to reach out to other people. Um, so give me a call, 973-536-2530. Um, and I'd love to talk to you. And if not, we'll, we'll, we'll wind it down for the night. And uh, I will feature more people on soon. This show will be available on Podbean. It'll be available on iTunes, Spotify, and every other medium, guys. When I share the show, please uh, do me a favor and go ahead and uh, share the share the show with your friends and post it. When I post it, just click share. Just share it for people. Let them know it's available. Let them know it's out there. Keep inviting people to listen with us. Uh, every night. It's it's cool to have different people in here vibing with us, listening with us. Um, and it's cool to just have different people participating. We can all build. And we got people now, you know, we have at normal listeners from from New York, from Georgia, from Massachusetts, from Arizona, uh, from all over the country. So this isn't even just like a, a purely Jersey thing anymore. This is a national thing. And we're, we're building. So it's just, it's great. And I love just reconnecting and just exchanging information over and over and over again with everybody. There's nothing like it. It really isn't. You guys are all, uh, 
all on a level more than most because you're willing to sit around and, and listen to knowledge and grasp the knowledge and compute the knowledge and uh, spread the knowledge. And that's all any of us could really ever do. Uh, Sean, Mr. Bracken, political action Bracken. He's going to be back on soon, too. Uh, we were supposed to have him on this week, but the financial thing popped up, so I went with Neil as the guest this week. But Political Action Bracken will be back on. Uh, I wanted to really dissect the Georgia uh, Senate elections with Sean, um, but we didn't get to yet. Uh, I imagine he wanted to talk about the filibuster, some other things, so... Uh, our partnership with Sean Political Action Bracken will be back in effect very soon, too. Um, he was a lot of people's lifeline and a lot of people's knowledge base for the election and, and everything leading up to it. So he'll obviously be back on very, very, very soon. And uh, I'm going to continue to feature people. So, like, I don't care. You might, you might think there's no place for it, but whatever you do, reach out to me. Like... I've reached out to people like Neil wasn't expecting. I reached out to him. He's like, oh, okay, I'll do it. I mean, and all of a sudden people come on. And uh, it's really a, a great experience for them, for me, and for all the listeners. We all learn something. I've learned something from every single person who has called and every single person who has participated in the show. And I will continue to learn because that's what I'm here for. I'm here to learn and help everybody else learn and to all of us learn from each other. So... That's what it is, guys. It's uh, It's been a great week. I've had a productive week. Uh, I'm sure all of you have. I wish you a very, very pleasant weekend. And I uh, hope you enjoyed the content today. I hope you continue to share the show. I hope you join me next week, every Friday at 9. I love having you all here. I love talking to all of you. Thank you so much for participating in the comments. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you so much for just being here and rocking with me on a Friday night. I will see you all again next week. We will continue to keep this up. We will continue to spread the knowledge. And I'll continue to to be your boy and to, to rock with many of you on a personal level. So, cannot wait to be back. Hope you all enjoyed it. God bless everybody. And I'll talk to you soon. Good night.